Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. God in heaven, you know where each of us are today in our walk with you. Lord, each of us come today with our own particular burdens and our own particular joys. And Father, I pray that today as, as your word is spoken to your people, Lord, that you would bring comfort to those who are afflicted and hurting, comfort to those who are carrying heavy burdens that others or they themselves have placed upon themselves. Lord, I also pray for those of us who are comfortable, who are cold in our hearts toward you, that you would wake us up, that you would make us alive to who you are in our lives. And so, Lord, may you do, may your word do this work for each of us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading at verse 17 and go through chapter 4, verse 6. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only with their, when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you have a Lord in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This verse is really the, the main focus verse of our sermon this morning. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And right after saying this, Paul in verse 18 begins to turn his attention to all of the various whatevers of our life. 
All of the roles and responsibilities that you and I share in our lives in the world, our role as husbands and wives, our role as parents or children, our role as men and women in the workplace, which is um, our analogy to slaves and masters, these are the whatevers that Paul is talking about. In whatever that you do, in all of these roles and responsibilities that you play in your particular life, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so this morning we're going to explore specifically the ways in which our homes and our workplaces are the primary places, the primary places where you exercise your faith and where you exercise your obedience to Christ. Where you primarily exercise your obedience and your faith, it's not here. You spend most of your time and most of your energy in some other place than here at Broadway Christian Church, right? Even those of you that are very involved, maybe 7, 10, or even 15 or 20 hours a week here, still most of your time is spent someplace else, right? And so most of your obedience to Christ, most of your discipleship happens away from this place. And so it is interesting how often if you ask someone, or perhaps if you're asked, uh, are, you, are you a Christian? They'll say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. I go to this church, as if that's the primary mark of our faithfulness to Christ. The evidence of Christ in our life, the mark of the Christian life is most reflected in those places where we spend most of our time, in our homes and in our workplaces. It's there where most of your obedience to Christ takes place. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Leviticus. That's probably a surprise to you. But we're going to turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 19. I'm going to read a few verses from this chapter. And as I'm reading the verses from this chapter, what I want you to notice, what I want you to pay attention to, is how those actions that, uh, these instructions that Leviticus gives God's people about how they are to worship, how the things that we consider spiritual things or churchy things, and the ways that our everyday life, how they're woven together in these 11 verses, there's no separation between them. And so I want you to, to simply notice that. Leviticus 19, verses 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses... Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your father and mother, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on that day you sacrifice it, or on the next day anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord, then must cut off, they must be cut off from their people. So we have these long instructions about sacrifices and how to handle this sacrificial food. And then the very next verse, when you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of the field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. 
Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And do not steal and do not lie and do not deceive one another. You hear how these everyday practices about how they were to glean their fields and how they're to obey their mother and father are woven together in these instructions about how to make sacrifices and what to do with those sacrificial offerings and that they should not uh, worship idols and the way that they should observe the Sabbath. These things are woven together. In the same verse that we have, honor your mother and father, father, we also have observe the Sabbath. Uh, Eugene Peterson says it great. He says, the command to clean up your room and to go to church are in the same verse. (laughs) Worship. We know this Broadway. I think this is a a characteristic, one of the hallmarks of our church. We know this, that worship is not only what happens here on Sundays between 1030 and 10. Start at 10. (laughs) Between 10 and 1130 or 12. This time of worship is is precious as we gather together. It's an important part of our walk with Christ. But really, the things that we do here on Sunday mornings are really just a picture or an image of the way that we live our life the rest of the week. Everything that we do here on Sunday, we also are called to do Monday through Saturday. Have you ever considered the, the elements of our worship service in that way? We set a time, aside a time to praise God. Here on Sundays, we do that through singing. Perhaps you do that uh, also during the week through singing. But there's times every day that we need to set aside to praise Him, to notice Him for who He is in our life. We have started this practice of confessing our sin to God. This is not something we are to only do on Sundays, but to be constantly aware of the ways that we need to confess our shortcomings and our sin to God. We hear the scriptures preached to us. We are called to meditate on God's word day and night. We are called every single day to use our material things for God, to use our money and our resources and our time for God. Well, the offering is a way that we do that in a small part here that is to be reflected in our life in the world. At the end of our service today, we're going to take communion and then to pray for our world. Communion is a time where we give thanks to God for his gifts of, of, his, uh, of his broken body and his blood that sustain us, to sustain our, our spiritual life. Every day we eat and we give thanks to God for the ways that he's given us this food to sustain our physical life. We're going to pray for other people and for the whole world at the end of our service. It's something that we are called to do each day as those who are called to be priests in the world. All of the different things that we do here on Sunday morning are meant to prepare you to do those same kind of things for the rest of the week. In different forms and in different places for sure, but all of these things that we do on Sunday morning are meant to equip you to do those things in your daily life. Turn back with me to Colossians chapter 3. What I want you to notice is how often Paul places all of these roles and responsibilities that we have, and he references them as to the Lord. In this passage, Paul tells us over and over again that these relationships are to be done, these roles that we play are to be done in reference to our Lord. 
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because that pleases the Lord. Workers, do well for your employers out of reverence for the Lord because when you do it in that way, you will receive a reward from the Lord because you are working for the Lord. Masters, treat your slaves well because you also have a master who is in heaven. Our king, our Lord, our master. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He is taking all of these roles and responsibilities that all of us play in our lives and he is referencing all of them to Christ our king. It is King Jesus who determines how these relationships work, what they should be like, and how we should act in these roles. As followers of Jesus, our everyday mundane life, the getting up in the morning and getting the kids ready to school and getting yourself ready to go to work, and Paul says that all of these things that we do are to be done in reference to Jesus as Lord. And we do tend to divide up our lives, to compartmentalize our lives. It's tempting to do that, to say our home life is over here and our church life is over here, but God does not compartmentalize our lives in this way at all. The message of Colossians that we've been looking at over the last three or four months is that from the very beginning, that God is at work to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth. Colossians chapter 1 For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, the blood of his son shed on the cross. This passage here in Ephesians, and this has been consistent through the book of Colossians, is that God is not in the business of only saving your eternal soul. He is not concerned only with your spiritual life and with your spiritual practice. He is in the business of redeeming all of creation to himself. And because of that, he has a people who he is redeeming who just so happen to be teachers and students and stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads and business owners and bus drivers who are called to go into their places and to do their jobs in a way that bring glory to their king. God is present with you in those places, and he's calling you and enabling you to live in such a way that bring your homes and your work and your jobs under his lordship. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be a particular kind of people in the roles and responsibilities that we have in the world. And so this morning, I've identified three qualities that I see in this passage that should mark us as people who worship the King of Kings in all things. The first is that we're called to be a people of joy. The second is that we're called to be a people of prayer. And the third is that we're called to be a people of mission. 
a people of joy, a people of prayer, and a people of mission. Now, certainly these are not the only qualities that mark us, uh, but these are ones that I see coming out of this passage in Colossians, that as we go about our callings in our home and in our workplaces, that we're to be a people of joy, a people of prayer, and a people of mission. Let's begin with a people of joy. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The book of Hebrews says this, that it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. Jesus knew that his suffering in this life was for something good and beautiful beyond it. And so it was for that joy that was set before him that he endured his life. Joy is an experience of contentment or satisfaction and hope that is independent of your present circumstances. Our lives in this world are filled with dissatisfaction and disappointments and frustrations, aren't they? However dissatisfied and disappointed and frustrated you may be in your job or in your marriage or in your home life, or if you are a a youth today, how frustrated or disappointed you may be in the way that your parents are treating you, none of that has to steal your joy. It was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Your home and your job must be given the proper weight and importance in your life. Because the thing that will steal your joy is if you place too much weight and too much significance on your job or as your role as a spouse or as your role as a parent. If your marriage is your primary source of identity, then your spouse will always disappoint you. If being a parent is what gives you meaning and purpose in life, then you are going to be disappointed. If being successful in your career is your primary goal in your life, you will be frustrated in disappointment because the source of your joy was never meant to be found in any of those things. The source of your joy must come from beyond your present life and circumstances. The source of your joy comes from God. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive a reward, an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I want to turn to another surprising, perhaps, book, the book of Ecclesiastes. You turn to Ecclesiastes with me. I... I've really been wanting to preach from Ecclesiastes for a long time. I've never done that before. Maybe we'll do that after the first of the year or something. But it's one of my favorite books. And I think when we think about the proper place that our, our jobs in our homes, our life in the world should have in our life, the, the weight that we should place on them, I think Ecclesiastes gives us a great perspective. And this is how the book of Ecclesiastes starts. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And he goes on in the book to tell us 
that life is meaningless, that pleasure is meaningless, that the sun is meaningless, <laughs> that the seasons of the year are meaningless, that gardening is meaningless, that wealth is meaningless. And he says, your job is meaningless. This is what the writer says in Ecclesiastes, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What does a man get from all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his day, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. Have any of you ever felt that way about your job? I have. There's wisdom here. It's wisdom that reminds us that our jobs and our homes and anything that happens here under the sun must have a proper place in our life, must be given proper weight, must be ordered rightly in the way that we love it and pursue it. See, because all of these areas of our life are places where we're tempted to place our hope, tempted to find our source of identity and meaning. And if we do that, if we find our, if we try to find our source of meaning and purpose in those places, rather than in our relationship with God, they will seem empty and they will seem meaningless because they were never intended to hold that place in your life. And when we expect anything else to bring us that hope or anything else to give us our identity or our significance or our meaning, they will feel empty and they will feel meaningless. Your job is a good thing, but it is only good as it is understood as a gift from God, as a way to serve him and to bring us closer to him. Your home and your role as a parent or as a spouse are good things. They are gifts from God, but they are there to help you serve him and to bring you closer to him and for you to help others to serve him and to bring them closer to him. And so when our job loses that purpose, that God-oriented purpose, when we place too much weight on our job, hoping that it will bring us meaning in our life, it will become meaningless. We can also put this kind of weight on our families as well. And we can crush our spouses and our kids with our own expectations of them to fulfill whatever need that we have. And they are going to disappoint you if you place that weight on them. Parents, if you place expectations on your kids to, to succeed in all those areas of life where you have failed— when you see that your kids are somehow a reflection of you as some kind of successful or unsuccessful person, your kids are going to disappoint you and parenting is going to be a chore. You will be embarrassed at the restaurant when they're throwing food and crying. And if you see that as a reflection on yourself, the pressure that you put on yourself and your kids completely changes. Our life in this present age is filled with frustrations and disappointments, and we're tempted to satisfy all of those frustrations and disappointments in these roles that we play, to believe that we'll find meaning and significance there. Our source of joy must come from God, to know that in these roles we're first serving Him. 
your job, your home life, your marriage, your parenting, youth, your relationship with your parents. All of us are in different places with that, of that right now. Some of us, these are great. We love them. We love our jobs. We love this role that we're playing in our homes. Others of us, it's frustrating. There are marriages in our church that are in crisis right now. Wherever you are in your life, your call right now is to be faithful to these words in Colossians chapter 3. To be faithful as a wife and a husband and as a child and as a parent and as a worker. And as you do this, however challenging it is, however impossible it may seem, there is a reward for you in Christ as you are faithful to him in these roles and responsibilities. And it's in that relationship that must be your focus and the source of your joy. So as followers of Christ, as we enter into our workplaces, as we enter into our roles and responsibilities in our homes, we are called to be a people of joy, recognizing that there is something beyond this, a reward, an inheritance that we receive in Christ beyond our present circumstances. It was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. We're also called to be a people of prayer. After giving his instructions about Christian households and about how to live as slaves or masters or as employees and employers, in verse 2 he says this of chapter 4, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. As followers of Christ in the world, we are to be a people of prayer. And this is the good news. I've talked about how frustrating and disappointing life can be sometimes, but here's the good news. God is at work in your home and in your workplace. He is there. He's a part of what's happening there. And so Paul says that we are called to be watchful and to be thankful. To be watchful in your homes is to recognize the places where God is at work uh, as our kids are growing up, Katie and I are discovering all of the ways that each of them are prone to turn away toward us and to turn away toward God. And we have to be watchful for that and to build them up in those specific ways. These parents know, and I bet you know this with all of your kids, you can't raise them all the same, right? They're all very different. And we're seeing how each of them is a little bit different in the way that they're prone toward sin or disobedience to us or disobedience to God. And some of the things that they say about and questions that they're asking about God, each of them are different. And so we must be watchful in praying and asking that God would respond to them in these ways. To recognize that God loves our kids more perfectly than we do and to seek his help to notice these things, and that he would respond to these things in our life. We're called to be thankful. Our prayers should be filled with thanksgiving for our homes and for our family. These are great gifts from God. The gifts of our homes and of our parents and our kids. When is the last time that you actually gave thanks to God for your spouse? Actually gave thanks to God for your kids. Youth, when was the last time that you thanked God for the parents that he gave to you? We are called to be a people of prayer, being watchful of the ways that God is at work and asking him to move and to act in our lives and also to be thankful for the things that he has given to us. We're, of course, called to be people of prayer in our jobs as well. 
to go into our workplaces asking, God, where are you at work in this place? To be a people of prayer in the workplace. I know you may be thinking it's easy for you to say, Pastor Ryan, <laughs> your, your prayer is obviously a part of your work. And for sure, it is easier for me to pray in my job. But I want to say to you that I know what it's like to go about my work praylessly. <laughs> I can do this job that God has given to me in a prayerless way, just as you could. And the thing is that probably many of you wouldn't notice, but I would, and God would. And I have been that way at many times in my ministry, to go about my work in my own strength, in my own ability. Friends, to go about your work and to do it in prayer is something that we are called to, all of us. To pray for the people that are around you, Maybe sometimes in secret, maybe in some very obvious ways. Praying in your job and the circumstances that you find yourself in, circumstances where you're being challenged perhaps to go outside the, the boundaries of God, what God, you know God wants you to do, to be praying and to bringing God to bear in those circumstances. When we make prayer a part of how we do our job, we, we open up our job to God. We, we pull back the curtain a bit and refuse to allow this job to simply just be a job. Turn back to Ecclesiastes. I'm sorry, we're flipping around here. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he says something very interesting. After lamenting at how meaningless work and labor is, it's almost as if he sees a glimpse of something good. So starting in verse 17 through 23 is when he despairs and laments over the meaningless of labor and work. And then in verse 24, he says this, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless in a chasing after the wind. It didn't last very long, but he had a glimpse of God showing up in that work and being there and giving some joy and happiness to those who do it in a way who recognizes, in a way that recognizes that God is there. We are called to be a people of prayer. And we're also called to be a people of mission. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In both our homes and our workplaces, we're challenged to live with a sense of calling and purpose. Whatever role that you play in those places, there are opportunities for you to respond to his presence and his activity every single day. And here Paul tells us that we need to be wise in the way that we act and wise in the way that we speak. In whatever you do, in word or in deed. That's what he said in 
chapter 3, verse 17, and he responds here again by talking about our actions and our words being filled with grace. Your actions and your words will say far more to the people around you than whether or not you go to church, right? Your character and your commitment to Christ is revealed to others through your words and your actions in your everyday life. In the book of Deuteronomy, God gives instructions about how we are to raise up our kids in the ways of the Lord. There's always opportunities to join with God in what he wants to teach our kids, these teaching moments. I I remember this one time, one of the things that I am trying to instill in our kids is really to resist always uh, being sold something, whether it be through commercials or just the advertisements that they see everywhere. We've been intentional about talking with them about that. And I remember one time driving down the road and we drove by a a car lot and there was a car sitting on top of uh, some sort of platform and it was spinning around. And my daughter Gloria said, dad, why is that car spinning? And I said, well, they want to attract your attention, and they, they want you to buy that car. And I said, I said, but what do we tell people who try to get us to buy stuff? And she said, we say no. I said, all right. That's good. <laughs> but truly, um, your kids are watching these advertisements and these commercials all of the time. Teach your kids how to watch them and to teach them how ridiculous they are. The evil one wants to use all sorts of things to influence and steal the heart of your kids. So be aware and to teach them how to discern these things. There are certainly many, many other ways as parents we need to do that. God has called you to be there. It's a part of your mission, your calling as a parent to shape your kids in the ways of the Lord. And in your job, you're called to be a person of mission as well. One of my favorite passages is that passage of scripture after Jesus has risen from the dead and he appears to his disciples and all of them are afraid. They're, they're up in that upper room. They're locked away. They're in fear. And it says that Jesus breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, as the father has sent me, now I am sending you. And believe that that is a call for each of us to understand that however fearful we may be, however frustrated or disappointed we may be in our life, however much we want to shut ourselves up in a room, that Jesus comes to us and he breathes his spirit into us and he says, as the Father has sent me into the world, now I am sending you into the world. In what way may you understand your own presence in your workplace as the presence of Christ to other people? How might you go about doing your job differently if that was the case? How might that change your perspective on your purposes there? Are there any opportunities for you to be the aroma of Christ, as Paul says in Corinthians, to those around you? To be a people who take every opportunity and to have words that are seasoned with salt that will be places and moments where people can experience God's grace. Whatever you do, whether it be in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How is God calling you to faithfulness in the whatevers of your own life? We all have our own whatevers, our own roles and responsibilities that we're called to. How is God calling you to faithfulness in those places right now? 
Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you that you are a God that is concerned and attentive to every part of our life. That you are not only paying attention when we are in our prayer closets, that you are not only paying attention when we show up here on Sunday morning, that you're not only paying attention when we are serving you in very in church programs or in very churchy-like ways, although you are certainly there in all of those places. But God, you are there present with us. You are seeking to be a part of everywhere we go. So Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you are at work. Lord, that you would make us a people of joy. Lord, in all of the frustrations and disappointments of life in this world, Lord, that we would see the joy that is set before us and that we would endure all of them with faithfulness as we follow the way of your Son. Lord, I ask that you would make us a people of prayer. Lord, that in our our jobs and in our homes, that we would pull back the curtain and not shut you out, but that we would see uh, that you are there, that you want to be a part of that, and that we would pray and and ask for your help in all of it. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people of mission, that we would know and believe that you've called us into wherever you've called us. Lord, I pray that we would be able to see the plans and purposes that you have for us in those places. Lord, I ask this for myself. Lord, I ask this for our brother, my brothers and sisters who are seated here today. Lord, I ask these things in the power of your Spirit, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.